Please go ahead and turn from that scripture reading this morning, if you would, to the book of Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. We will be there shortly. You know the Apostle Paul, in his writings, he used a lot of military terms, he used a lot of military references, military illustrations. Perhaps the most recognizable, or the first one that would come to mind if you were asked, well like what? would be from Ephesians chapter 6. We're all very familiar with that chapter where he talks about putting on the full armor of God, putting on the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation, sword of the Spirit, those sorts of, of illustrations. But you know, something that we sometimes forget is that the Apostle Paul also logged a lot of days and a lot of sea miles aboard sailing ships during his three missionary journeys. I recently looked up a reference where somebody had actually gone through the Bible and tried to figure out how much time that the Apostle Paul had spent total at sea. And the figure they came up with was that he put in somewhere around, over the course of his lifetime in his missionary journeys, that the Apostle Paul put in somewhere around 6,800 miles and spent 111 days or so at sea. That would be three months and, th- and three weeks, almost four months. Nearly 7,000 miles, nearly four months on board a ship or in the water over the course of his lifetime. Now just for reference sake, the pilgrims, They left England and sailed to the New World in Plymouth, Mass. Their voyage took them 66 days, just over two months. And they traveled about 2,700 miles. So if you compare that to the Apostle Paul in his lifetime, from what we gather, he spent close to twice the time that the pilgrims did making their voyage in about two and a half times the mileage. When you add in the fact that according to 2 Corinthians 11, verses 25 and 6, he was shipwrecked three times. He said he spent a day and a night in the peril of the open sea, and those voyages were before the big one we often think about in Acts 28. So when you stop and think about it, he spent quite a lot of time at sea. And during those voyages, the Apostle Paul certainly had plenty of opportunity to pick up and utilize some nautical terms in his writing. Not just military terms, was he familiar with, but also nautical terms. Consider with me the fact that in 1 Timothy 1, 18-20, he talked about those who had shipwrecked their faith. He knew something about shipwreck, right? Well, another one of those nautical terms that was recently brought to my attention that the Apostle Paul used was from an article by Brother Dan Jenkins on Church of Christ articles, and that term is, do not lower the sail. Do not lower the sail. That was the title, I'm sorry, of the article by Brother Jenkins, who wrote this. He said, the Apostle Paul spent many days aboard ships throughout his life. He understood nautical terms, and he used one of those nautical terms three times in the Bible. The Greek word is hupostello. 
and refers to what happened whenever the captain of the ship sensed troubled waters ahead. This term was used to describe what happened when that captain ordered his sailors to lower the sails to avoid what lay ahead. Think about that. This term hupastello means to lower the sails in order to avoid the troubled waters ahead. The Apostle Paul used that same term three times in the New Testament. Vine's Expository Dictionary of Biblical Words defines hupostello as its primary meaning is to draw back or to let down, like lower the sails. It's a nautical term. Its secondary meaning is to withdraw oneself, to be timid, or to shrink back. It is used, says Vines, of those who from timidity hesitate to discuss and defend what they believe. It is used in a sense of being unwilling to talk about from fear or to shrink back from declaring, to conceal. Paul used that term that meant those things for lowering the sail twice in Acts chapter 20, as I asked you to turn to earlier. Incidentally, that nautical term in Acts 20 that he uses twice, He's using it while he's in the midst of one of his sailing journeys. In Acts 20 and verse 13 we begin reading. Then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos, where there intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. We sailed from there, and the next day came opposite Chios, the following day, we arrived at Samos and stayed at Trigillium. The next day, we came to Miletus. Paul's on board a ship. He had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, and he called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. Stop right there for just a moment before we get into his usage of this term. According to verse 31 of this particular chapter, Paul had labored with them for three long years. The scripture says he had warned them day and night with tears. Those three years were years that were filled with trials, trouble, and adversity that he had spent amongst the brethren there in Ephesus. If we were to go back and read... We would see in Acts chapter 19, verses 8 and 9, that during that time he'd been run out of the synagogue for preaching the word. He had been run out of the synagogue and actually had to go and teach in the school of Tyrannus. 
Then if we were to continue on reading about his exploits there in Ephesus, if we were to continue in Acts 19, verses 11 through 20, we would see about these Jewish exorcists and that whole mess. And then we would also note during those three or so years, if we were to read Acts 19, verses 23 through 40, We'd find out about this great commotion. That's what the scripture says. There was this great commotion that arose. What it was was a citywide riot. That's what it came down to. And Paul's preaching had caused this great commotion or this citywide riot because he took issue with, in a sense you could say, the silversmiths of Ephesus who made their living selling these little images of the false goddess Diana. And so there was trouble and strife and struggle all through that time period that he was there teaching in Ephesus. And he's reminding them of that, reminding the elders of the Ephesian congregation of that here in verses 13 through 19. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. In all of those struggles, in all of those conflicts, in all of those desperate times and all of that, Paul could have shut up. He could have shut down. He could have drawn back. He could have toned it down some. But he didn't. He didn't. Through it all, through all that we just read about that happened, through all that we just talked about that happened, that he summarizes here where we read in verse 19. Through it all, Paul stayed the course instead of shrinking back. Look at verse 20. He talks in verse 19 about all those tears and trials, and he says... How he kept nothing back that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. Despite all those struggles and all the people that were opposed to him and all the controversy and all the problems it was causing. Paul says, I kept it on. I didn't keep anything back. Some versions in verse 20 will say, I did not shrink. Or I did not shrink back from declaring. I did not avoid proclaiming. I did not hold back from proclaiming. Those are all what some of the different translations will say. But what I want you to understand, no matter how it is translated in your Bible, right there in verse 20, how I kept back nothing or did not shrink back, that is that nautical word that he uses there in the Greek, hupostello. He said, I didn't lower the sails. I didn't give up. I didn't lock up. I didn't bring them down. When troubled water lay ahead in the church, the Apostle Paul did not draw back. He did not back down. He did not get timid. He did not hesitate. He did not shrink back from declaring the whole truth of the Word of God. The Apostle Paul says, I never lowered the sails even once. Even amidst all of that. That's what that word means. And it didn't matter if it was with the Jews, like the silversmiths. It didn't matter, I'm sorry, it didn't matter, I'm sorry, wrong. It didn't matter if it was the Jews, like those who ran him out of the synagogue, or the Gentiles, like the silversmiths who started this riot. It didn't matter if it was the Jews or the Gentiles. Paul said, I didn't lower the sails. Look at the next verse, 21. 
He said he still testified to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Both parties that gave him so much problem, he could have just... He said, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Then Paul goes on to say that he would continue. He hadn't lowered the sails yet. He wasn't about to. He said that he would continue to sail headlong into troubled waters without ever backing down, without ever backing away from or being ashamed of God's truth. He said that he would not lower the sails in the face of the storm's onslaught. Look at verses 22 through 26, how he puts this forward into the future. He says, And see now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. He said, there's more storms coming. I'm telling you, I know this. But none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race... With joy. The only way, the only way that the Apostle Paul was going to finish the race. Remember he talks about that in 2 Timothy, how he finished the race? The only way he said, I'm going to finish this race and do it with joy, I've got to sail through that storm in order to reach my destination. He said, so I'm not worried about these storms that are waiting for me, verse 23. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. Why? so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. He said, look, I know it's the last time I'm going to see you. These storms, I know what's coming. I understand. But then he says, I testify to you, whom I'll never see again, this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Paul, you kidding me? What are you talking about? You're innocent? How could Paul say he was innocent of the blood of all men? I'll tell you why. Because he had not lowered the sails and shrunk back from declaring to all of them the truth of God's word. That's what he says in the next verse. He says in verse 27, For I have not shunned, that's our word. I have not avoided, I have not lowered the sails, that's hupostello. I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. He said, that's why I'm innocent of your blood. Because I have not shrunk back, even though there were troubled waters, even though there was opposition, even though the wind was blowing the wrong way, and I didn't go with the way the wind blows, is what we would say today. Every time I turned around, I didn't see what popular opinion was. I saw the storm, but you know what? I didn't lower the sails to avoid it. I sailed into it. Why? To save your soul. He said, that's why I'm innocent of your blood. Because I took on the storm. Brother Jenkins says this second use of the word, hupostello, in verse 27, I have not shunned, described the heart of the great apostle and preceded or came before his warning to the Ephesian elders to shepherd the Lord's sheep and protect them from false teachers, even if the false teachers came from part of the eldership, as they may have. Look at verses 28 and following. He says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. He said, they're going to come in from the outside. Not only are they coming from the outside, they're going to come from amongst you guys. 
Not sure if that meant the congregation there or the eldership itself, but they were coming from within as well as without. He says in verse 30, Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Now when we read that, when we read Paul understands that savage wolves are coming in, maybe the automatic thought is, well, this was something, you know, prophecy, maybe miraculous gifts, he had this, this foresight. Well, maybe he did. But, maybe, as we read down through where he says, in verse 30, from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Maybe it was, and maybe it wasn't miraculous. Remember, Paul had worked with these guys for about three years, right? He knew them. You work with somebody, you get to know them. You get to know their personalities. You get to know who's, who's working on their own pride agenda. You know who's totally devoted and faithful to the Lord. You know who's honest and sincere. You know who's got integrity. You know who doesn't. Paul says, from among your own selves, men are going to rise up, and they're going to do some bad stuff. Paul knew them. But here's the thing. Here, here's, the, here's the thing. Did you ever know somebody that you knew if they kept going the way that they were going, that they were going to mess things up? Paul worked with these men. Now, I don't know if they were elders when Paul was there or not. I don't know exactly the timetable is when they were recognized and installed, if you want to use that term, as elders. But these were apparently leading men that were leading men in the congregation even when Paul was there, whether they were serving as elders at that time or not. Paul knew them. But here's the thing. Paul didn't hesitate to even take on the elders. He didn't shrink back from that. He said, I know. From amongst your own selves, men are good. So you make sure that you're doing it God's way. He's warning the elders. Paul didn't back down. Paul did not back down from the issue or those men, and he knew they couldn't either. Why? Because they couldn't afford to back down from those issues that needed to be tackled. Because if they did and they lowered the sails, they would not survive the storm. And they would not make it safe into that heavenly harbor. Brother Jenkins writes, When false teachers threatened the church, Paul did not shrink. He didn't lower the sails. Imagine the impact there would be on congregations if all elders refused to lower the sails, even though such actions meant they would have to sail through some troubled waters. Amen. To lower the sails means to surrender to the storm. That's what it means. To lower the sails, to shrink back from declaring to draw back because there's some troubled water that, that you can see coming if you continue to proclaim the truth. To surrender to the storm is to lose all hope. That's what happened in Acts 27, 17 through 20. When they surrendered to the storm, they lost all hope. Any church leadership, any church leadership that will either draw back, shrink back, back down, become timid, 
hesitate, withdraw, compromise, or seek to lower their sails in an effort to avoid the troubled waters that some congregations must go through instead of standing up for the truth and navigating through those waters will guarantee that that congregation comes to a dead stop because they've lowered the sails. And when you lower the sails and you surrender to the storm and you avoid some of those troubled waters that all congregations must go through and you just shrink back and you're timid and you drop those sails down and all forward progress is stopped, that ship is a sitting duck. It leaves them dead in the water. I got onto a particular website. Listen to these following excerpts from PacificRimBible.com. I have two paragraphs. Please listen. For a naval vessel at sea, there's a reason for lowering all sails. Even in a storm, some sails are left up for propulsion to guide steerage for the ship. So what's the meaning behind a slackening in the course due to a lowering of the sails? There is one analogy in military terminology to this, and that is called striking the sails. We might call it striking the colors today. When two combat vessels were fighting each other at sea, and one had dominated the other to the place of surrender, the ship surrendering would strike its sails. It would lower its sails. That is, cut them down or lower them to let the other ship know that it had given up and no longer intended to fight. Hupastello meant to strike the sails, to give up, to withdraw from combat, to retreat. To withdraw from the battle, to strike the sails of faith, to give up on the battle, to turn tail and run. And then it said this, and this is so true says, now their big mistake here, along with all the others, is an incomplete and inadequate understanding of the enemy. They think that the enemy is somehow bound by the rules of fair play. They think the enemy will treat them as they would treat the enemy. But that's the farthest thing from the truth. What the enemy plans on doing is torturing them when they get them, making sport of them, inflicting on them the greatest amount of mental and physical pain that they can while still keeping them alive, for lowering the sails of faith is not only defeat but sure destruction for the soul. Did you get that? I I've got to tell you, Satan wants every congregation of the Lord's Church to lower the sails, to stop fighting the good fight, to stop using the sword of the Spirit, to stop forward progress. Satan wants that of every congregation of the Lord's church. He wants them to just stop. He wants them to give up, to surrender, to give up on eternal life, to give up on using the Bible. He wants to take your hope away. But Satan doesn't want to just stop churches and Christians. Satan wants to punish you. He's not just in it to win, he's in it to destroy you. Do you understand that? The enemy is in this to torture and cause you as much pain as he can. Satan not only doesn't like you, he hates you. He doesn't just want you to stop working for God. He wants to cause you all the pain and misery he possibly can in the process. He's not going to fight fair. And when a congregation of God's people 
sometimes there's troubled waters they have to sail through. There's, there's things that have to be addressed biblically that are not comfortable and convenient. And when a congregation just goes, I just, if I avoid it long enough, maybe it just won't be there when I turn back around. That's lowering the sails. That's avoiding the conflict. That's becoming a sitting duck. Because no longer are you relying on God's power. No longer, like Paul would refuse to do, no longer are you sailing into this with God's word, knowing you will be victorious and you've got to go through the storm to get to the other side to reach your destination. Paul would not even for a moment shrink back or lower the sails. He would not compromise or seek to tone down the truth in, effort, in an effort to avoid a conflict where souls were on the line. When souls were on the line, Paul didn't care about the size of the storm or the conflict. He wasn't backing down. He wasn't lowering the sails and surrendering. A soul cost too much. And it didn't matter the situation, the congregation, or the confrontation. Just like is outlined in Galatians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Folks, get this. It didn't even matter if it was another apostle and preacher that himself had lowered the sails and, and shrunk back. Paul wouldn't. You know, there was another apostle and preacher that did shrink back. You know that, right? Turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. In Galatians chapter 2... Brother Jenkins says this, in Galatians 2.12, Paul used this term, hupostello, a third time, to describe what Peter did because of racial prejudice in the church. On one occasion, Peter associated freely with the Gentile Christians, but when Jewish brethren arrived, Peter withdrew himself. He hupostelloed, he lowered the sails in order to avoid the storm and the conflict. He withdrew himself, he shrunk back, fearing them who were of the circumcision. The words withdrew himself are from this same Greek word, Peter lowered the sails, rather than navigating and conquering the troubled waters which the truth would force him to have to travel through. And when he did, Paul says, uh-uh, that ain't the way this is going to work. Paul refused to shrink back. It's interesting as we get ready to conclude, there is a fourth and final occurrence of this Greek word hupostello found in what ought to be a real familiar text for those of you that were here last Sunday morning. That's in Hebrews chapter 10, which Will read to us earlier. Please turn there. Now, if you believe that Paul wrote Hebrews, as some do, then Paul used the word four times. But if you don't believe Paul wrote Hebrews, then... Okay, then Paul used it three times, and the writer of Hebrews used it a fourth and final time. Hebrews verse 38 of chapter 10 says, Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone, there it is, hupostello, if anyone draws back, if anyone shrinks back, if anyone lowers the sails, my soul has no pleasure in him. You that were here last Sunday morning know from that lesson that living by faith means this. Living by faith means, just like we had on the PowerPoint, learning who God is and what He said, and then trusting Him enough to do what He said because of who He is. Remember that? That's living by faith. 
We know that it is that kind of faith that separates those who are pleasing to God from those who are not. Hebrews 11, 5 and 6. We know that this kind of faith that learns who God is and what He said and then does what He said because of who He is, that kind of faith is also what separates the righteous from the unrighteous according to God. Romans 4, 13 through 22 and Hebrews 11, 8. Now, when you put what we've learned last week about faith with what we learned this week about shrinking back, we know and understand from Hebrews 10, 38 and 9 that shrinking back, backing down, standing down, becoming timid, hesitating, withdrawing, compromising, or lowering the sails, which is a sign of surrender, instead of tackling the troubled waters where souls are at stake, which a congregation sometimes has to do with the invincible truth of the Word of God, we know that that is just the opposite of true biblical soul-saving faith. Why? Because of Hebrews 10.38. The just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Verse 39 says, But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Paul said to that group of Christians, Yeah, drawing back and lowering the sails instead of trusting God and sailing through the storm with God. He said, That's not what we do. That's not what that congregation did. Question for us this morning is, Who are we? Are we that congregation? Mentioned in verse 39, or not? The lesson is yours. If you're not a member of the Lord's Church this morning, you need to repent and be baptized into Christ to become a member of the Church. Or if you're somebody who's done that and needs the prayers of the Church, please come to the front as we stand and as we sing.